Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Friday's version of Hollywood Breaks. It's so good to be with you this Friday. Uh, this is a very special episode because one of Keith's biggest, uh, what did say, like heroes is joining us today. And we're so excited to have this conversation. Is uh, a person we quote very often and appreciate. So, uh, Keith, I'm going to let you make the introductions to our, our good friend, Richard. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, Tim, always good, a pleasure to be with you. Um, I'm very excited to have our guest here today, Richard Rushfield, um, who is the editor in chief of one of my favorite, the favorite, my favorite newsletter about the business, The Angler. And for any of you who are regular listeners, viewers of our podcast, you know I quite I quote him quite often. Uh, I think he is probably one of the most insightful uh, analyzers of the business and the state of the business. He speaks with honesty, brutal or likewise, which I think is something that the industry is lacking right now. Um, and it's great that someone who cares about the industry as, and movie going as much as Tim and I do, um, but also sees very, very rough seas ahead. So Richard, thank you for joining us and welcome to Hollywood Breaks. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, sorry to, uh, to disabuse you of the idea that I actually know anything I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, listen, having worked for America's most beloved entertainment ex executive for almost a decade, I can tell you, you kind of, you nail him in a, in a lot of spots. So you do know something. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. He's a um, big target. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so just to start off, you know, so any of our viewers who are not familiar with uh, The Ankler, what sort of inspired you to start it? I mean, obviously you have Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, and, you know, all these, uh, you know, the rap. Um, what sort of inspired you to start the Ankler and kind of get it off the ground? You know, I, I was I was in a position where I was I was forced to read the trades for about for about five ten years. And sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, so was so was I, and and kind of just going uh, bonkers. Like, why does why does reporting of the entertainment industry first of all have to be so boring? It got to a point where it was so safe and so protected, and and you you just felt like you were reading the corporate uh, handbook or something there. And I just had the idea that there's there's room here for someone to just uh, say what they say what they think about it and chime in and poke some people with sticks. So that's what I can yeah, do. Beyond the press release, because that's all you really was, was just yeah. a list of press releases that were coming out the trades. It's just announcements and handouts uh, on typical days. It's just it's just a long list of, you know, the the um, the uh, I think I have I think it was I have Stone who said uh, journalism is reporting things that that some is reporting something that someone doesn't want you to know and everything else is marketing. And uh, the trades have mistaken journalism as journalism is being the first person to get to tell the thing the studio wants you to tell. Here's a here's a look at the new bat cycle or whatever. <laughs> uh, that's what comes to journalism. Just it's you nailed it on the head because uh, I don't know if you watched it. The I, I commented this a couple weeks ago, but I don't know if you watched it. Uh, Variety's Entertainment Summit um, at all, and Claudia Eller was uh, basically overseeing it, and she had Assad and uh, Assad Ayaz and Joe Early on, and she was like watching a fangirl talk about Man Mandalorian. I'm like, you have these two people who basically run one of the most powerful entertainment companies, and you don't even ask them, I'm like, well, what do you guys think about theaters and how they're going to rebound? You guys say, what was it like working on The Mandalorian? And I'm like, come on, really? I mean, it's just, there's just a lack of any sense of like really digging in and figuring out where the issues are and what the industry, where the industry needs to go and what's happening behind the scenes. It's more like, well, what do the studios want to talk about? And that's really not 
what they're supposed to do, obviously. But well, it's even worse because to get those those, those uh, unwatchable, uh, tedious summits are how they make all their money now. Yeah. So to get the people to get Joe Early to come to them, you've got to be nice to his company for a year and a half in advance, so that he'll so so that he'll do you the privilege of showing up, so you can kiss up to him in person. So yeah, that's that's the that's the uh, circle they're in right now. So what's the What's the news cycle like for for you and your team? How are you <laughs> my, curating my team, the of, my team of me? <laughs> <All right. laughs> the, but curating the opinions, understanding what's going on the inside. Uh, you know, what angle do you take? I guess as you're trying to figure out what to write about. I, I don't have any special degrees or special knowledge, and uh, you know, you, Keith, you've actually worked in the industry, so you, so you know a hundred times more about it than I actually know. Um, but I'm, I'm just kinda, don't be so sure about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, nowadays, nobody seems to know anything. Yeah, nobody seems to know. Well, anything. That, that's that's the William Goldman rule, isn't it? About Hollywood. yes, uh, and and it certainly includes me. But I, I just come at it from the place of like, of I'm I'm just sort of reading and asking the obvious questions, and I'm fortunate to come along at a time when the obvious questions aren't being asked very much, like what's going to happen to all this and. and What's the plan here and stuff, things, things like that. I'm just reading the news and following and asking what what are people not asking? What is not what is not happening here? And I don't necessarily know any answers, but I I know what they're not saying. <laughs> well, I could say we're obviously uh, fans and readers of of your newsletter, um, and I our listeners are they're used to us in that same idea. This thought of we need to get these ideas out loud happening, so people are recognizing what's happening. And there is a lot of things shifting in Hollywood. There's movements that the studios are making. There's these big OTT plays. There's this weird thing that's happening with exhibitors and box blocking them out or making different deals with them for distribution windows. And these are major shifts that affect not just, you know, the next few months or a COVID pandemic or anything like that, but there's the real need to understand how the show business is going to change and the theatrical experience is going to change because of these decisions. Um, so I, from us and our reading of, of your stuff, we kind of recognize you as a, also a fan of the movie experience and we, and that you love it and you know it, but you also are recognizing what's shifting and changing. I guess one of my questions for you is, is what's one of the biggest changes you're seeing? Like if you're from the coverage that you're doing and the interviews that you're having, you know, what are you looking at that you're realizing, oh, that's a big change. We should talk about that. Well, there's kind of two big, two big changes happening. Sort of behind the the scenes, it's it's the 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 fallout of of the Me Too era and and all the all the waves that came after that are, are really unprecedented in Hollywood. Because I mean, this was as far as I can find the, the, the first time in Hollywood history that any executive has ever been. Uh, held accountable for his behavior, ever. I, I, short of actually stealing from the studio, I, I can't find an example of an executive in in the ninety years previous to it ever ever being uh, uh, disciplined or punished or, God forbid, fired for bad behavior. So uh, the idea that 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 people here are suddenly accountable is a is a monumental shift, but. Uh, from the from the industry perspective, the the streaming wars, which is really about the tech industry coming and uh, imposing its will upon Hollywood and trying to colonize it, 
is such a huge uh, shift and, you know, the implications are only beginning to be felt and it's going to go a lot further. Yeah, big big data is definitely taking its hit on how we keep score. Uh, one of the things we're recognizing is the the box office score is just there's no way to judge them anymore. What is a blockbuster anymore? How many viewers do you have? What would that return be? So these this one-time scorecard that you can recognize after a long weekend to say, oh, there's a, a movie and the precedent of that movie's put on the industry. Oh, it's a shot. The, these data centers that are holding all this information – no one has real visibility on what, they, what they're even looking at or what their returns are. So it is a huge kind of shift for us. The scary thing is, you, I mean, you want to you wanna think when you're, and, and I do write for this as someone who's like rooting for uh, entertainment to survive and for Hollywood to still be here 10 years from now, which is, which is an open question. But the, the scary thing is like, you want to think that the people who run it, they know what they're doing. Even if I don't know anything about finance, you'd, you'd hope that the CEO has a basic understanding. It's not just that we don't have any r- math on box office. There's, there's, no, there's no math that, that adds up to these, all, all these giant blockbuster movies being put onto streaming that pays for itself. So it's, these are all basically, everybody is, everybody is running their businesses uh, has have, all these students have shifted their businesses towards streaming and are running them at a loss right now, hoping that um, that they become the next Netflix or one of the three or four companies that that survive this. But they can't all do this forever. You, you can't you can't keep losing money forever. So when you're the the thing is when they're all betting their life in their studio on this future. What happens when you lose that bet, as a lot of them are going to? I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. You you know, you brought up the tech overlords coming down because when I was at Fox, we worked on a movie called The Internship, which you may or may have not seen. If you did see, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of hopes for it, but there was a lot because Jim Giannopoulos, who at the time was co-chairman with America's most beloved entertainment executive, Tom Rothman, um, before they parted, before Tom went went off and then eventually Sony and then Jim now Paramount. Um, you know, Jim was very big on sort of the interaction with the tech world. He was constantly going up to Silicon Valley, meeting with the tech guys and, you know, trying to figure out a way to work together. And when we did the internship, it was like, we were like, our entire marketing staff went up to Google and it was sort of like this whole, like, they almost invited sort of (laughs) the vampire into the house. It's like, sure, come on in and suck our business dry. And, you know, it was sort of interesting that you bring that up and then you just see what's happening now where they sit on this mountains of cash. And my feeling is I think that's a lot what Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch saw when he finally saw all these tech overlords coming in. He's like, I can't compete without that money. So I either need to get bigger or I need to get out. He tried to get bigger and Time Warner was like, nope. So he's like, all right, here you go, Bob Iger. Here's here's all my assets. So you could you could take them on. Um, so I think you're very, you're absolutely right. The tech overlords, were, but it's interesting that they were also like just sort of invited in. Like, come on in here. There's tons of money. And, you know, the other thing I would say, and this is something we hit on quite often here, and you talked a lot about the CEOs and it's more or less the same five or six people running the industry for the last 20 years. I think you did you did a piece on this when you mentioned that Sean Bailey at Disney and Emma Watts are basically the youngest and they're approaching 50. And it's like, where is the next generation? Now, I brought this up before, as I said, and Tim's commented and said, well, what about Jason Kalar? But, you know, Jason Kalar comes from the, the tech world 
And clearly he just likes to throw grenades at the Hollywood relationship because of what they did at Warner Media. So I'd be curious to see, like, what do you think the evolution of the leadership of the business is? Because a lot of these tech guys are coming in, but they're hiring all these Hollywood people. And it doesn't seem like the mix is necessarily working out the way they, they hoped it would. So what, what it, like at the studio level, like what's going to happen? Like who's going to take over? You have Donna Lange at Universal has been there for a while. You know, you've got Tom and Jim, uh, you know, you've got Toby Emmerich who's been working for Time Warner for going on 20 plus years. So where is the, like the future and where is the next generation that's going to sort of hopefully knock on wood, save the business. Do you think it's there or are we just basically whisking past the graveyard and it's going to be the tech guys who are going to take over? I mean, I hope it's there. I mean, I think if the, if the tech guys take over, the problem with the tech guys is uh, is they don't. If if a Holly, if if a Tom Rothman doesn't know how to entertain America, then a uh, then a Google executive certainly certainly doesn't know how to entertain the world. Um, and so the uh, so ho I hope it's there. But I, you've got this. I, 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 I've written about this a lot. You've got this this basically baby boom elite that has been running Hollywood since the '90s uh, or late '80s. So you know, thirty uh, so years now since there's been a changing of the guard. You know, it's not just studios; it's the it's the agencies, it's the, the management companies. Um, you know, I think we're finally approaching their twilight, just because their companies are going to be disasters and they're a lot of them like Iger are ready to ride off into the sunset at this at this point I mean I think that the, the thing about it is you never know where the next giant hit that changes everything is going to come from but it's 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 hopefully it's lurking out there if it, if it can be given a chance to surface and the people who are behind that are going to become the next wave so there's there's new hits and there's new things happening hopefully someone someone said to me, the companies that win this will be the companies that have the greatest uh, capacity for loss, that the greatest tolerance for loss. You're going to have to take a lot of chances uh, to do this. And the companies that are willing to make to take the most chances and just keep getting at bat and striking out until they find that thing are the ones that are going to win ultimately. You know, what's interesting is the losses aren't just financial losses, too. It seems to be the, the collaboration with the creatives. So... From our point of view, the hits that Warner Brothers is taking by um, with their new distribution model and, and almost promises they made to directors that were going to make a feature film, going to be seen in a theater, relevant for an Oscar, you know, those kind of career driven moves that you make as a creative when you push things off to some, you know, two by three screen that someone's holding on a, on a subway. That's not the kind of experience that the filmmakers wanted. And I think there's a loss that that the studios are taking with the creatives just as well. We've somehow stopped, you know, the, I mean, the, the fundamental rule of entertainment since the beginning of, uh, you know, the, the first people stepped up on, on a stage is, is leave them wanting more. And that's the first rule that was abandoned here in this era. And when they, it's just, uh, we're just glutting people with entertainment and we're just glutting them with, you know, entertainment, which is now content. Um, yeah. And and you know shoving it down their throats until they until they're so sick of their uh, their their apps and everything that they're just dying to go outside and stare at a tree or something. Um, but it, it's just taken what what Hollywood produced used to be special and used to be something that 
that people looked forward to and sought out and waited on lines for and everything. And not just, you know, and now, now that it's just like you sort of lay down on your couch with your mouth open and have it, uh, and have a funnel put down your throat and poured in, it's whatever was special about it has, has gone away. And that's a, that's a big thing. Cause once you get, once you take away this being special, then why not just watch someone on TikTok? uh, you know, show you some dance moves. Yeah. Keith, what was that article that you sent me this week that referred to ABC studios content or something? Yeah. So um, there was an article that released. um, So I'm sure Richard, you know about all the changes that Disney's made with the Kareem Daniel and media entertainment distribution division that people really don't know what they do, (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) um, they, uh, they made an announcement that they had, uh, it was a press release and they're doing some sort of initiative with Salesforce, I guess, for research with like audiences. But what I found most interesting about the article was the about, you know, uh, bottom press releases they put about the two companies you're talking about. And it's set and they are calling Di- Walt Disney Studios. The Walt Disney Studios is now called Disney Content Studios. Really? And it has all the other branches underneath. It has Lucasfilm, Marvel, Walt Disney Animation, 20th Century, um, uh, Searchlight. So, like, the branch is now called Disney Content, content. So they do, they're like, we're just making content. That's all we do. And it's like, you're right. It's sort of lost the magic. And, you know, I, I've referenced this a few times before. You know, Mark Scorsese even brought this up in his article for Vanity Fair, I believe it was. And he's like, all we call it is content. It's just content. Yeah. We don't even we don't even distinguish it anymore by saying it's film. We just say content. Uh, and it's like it's entertainment. lost. It's- yeah, or entertainment. <laughs> exactly. It's-, it's sort of lost its luster. And, you know, I wonder if I'm hopeful that it'll come back eventually. But Jeremy Gershman, who was a content uh, creative marketing executive, um, we had him on last week and he made a very salient point about sort of the loss of the middle. So basically, and we were, cause we were talking about the Oscars and, you know, and he was talking about sort of the loss of like the middle class and sort of this idea that there's entertainment for everyone. Cause we were talking about the Oscars and the movies and how they're really just made for people who live in New York and LA. And I wonder if maybe the way back is to start making not just blockbuster movies like Fast and Furious 50 um, that sort of appeal to, you know, everybody, but in a lot of ways, sometimes are dumbed down. Um, But making films that just sort of tell a compelling story and you don't have to spend 150 million, you spend like 50 to 60 million and you try to appeal to the whole country versus just the coasts. And maybe that's a way to get us back to the idea of just entertainment. Like you, that will sort of draw people yeah. out of their homes and get them back into the theaters. And maybe that's the way forward. But the, to the your point about the touchstone model for, for yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Touchstone pictures. That's a, that's a great point. And I just wonder as the sort of boomer elite, as you mentioned, start to sort of fade off into the sunset. I mean, do any of the people who rise up? understand that because a lot of those people are sort of protégés of the current boomer elite. I think of, you know, Jim, Jim G and Emma at Paramount and Sean Bailey and Iger at Disney. Like they've all worked together for 40 <laughs> combined hundred years. So are they all going to do things the same way? Because what I've noticed that in Hollywood, is like, you always seem to try, like you, when you're working your way up the ladder, 
You're just doing things the way everybody else has done them because you see that's how you advance. And I, at least when I wasn't working sort of in the studio system, trying to do things differently wasn't really rewarded. So I don't really know if that's necessarily going to happen. Sure. So, I mean, I'm hopeful like you are, but uh, again, I think uh, the way forward is definitely try to make stories that sort of appeal to a broader swath of the country and get it back to this idea of it being entertainment and movies and going to the movies and not just flicking, picking up your Apple TV remote. I think the problem is you look at Disney and the Kareem Daniels unit there, like the studios have decided. So the stock market for, uh, for a decade uh, before that, like the, you, you look at Disney before they launched Disney plus Disney had the most dominant position any, any studio has ever had. In, in film, they had this remarkable run. They were making billions, they were making new parks, they were, uh, their, their toy lines were sensational and their stock market did not move. They, they stayed absolutely flat for that entire time. Uh, and then the day Iger announced we're doing Disney Plus, it shut up. And every time he would say Disney Plus, it would, it, it would go up again. And the stock market has been very clear, like we don't care about your old movie thing. We don't care you're doing good in this dead industry. We're, we give us another Netflix. That's what we could because Netflix has been this miracle stock of like over the last decade, and the companies now seem to have all bought into this, with the exception maybe of Universal. And they're all just chasing this, and they're going to leave their they're going to leave their uh, film of it, their theatrical units to wither on the vine. So while I think like something like a touchstone model and other things make a lot of sense. Um, I just don't know that there's any support for them in the, in the studios anymore. And I don't, and if there's no support for them, then I don't know how the theaters are going to survive except the handful of boutique experiences. So here's what I hear you guys saying is that we, the studios themselves are, might not have the resources totally set up to kind of fight the battle. The people waiting outside the gates are the tech companies that obviously have all the cash resources, but really want to commoditize um, the studios as fast as possible, turning into ABC content studios, for example, or worrying about only the, you know, the price of the, the share on the stock exchange is what the value of the studio is. So then you might have a, a group of people, a different class of people that are actually interested in making films, even though the award show circuit is no longer seeming valuable either. You know, at 9 million people watching the Oscars, does it really matter who wins anymore, right? So in a way, like where will the filmmakers go or where will the leaders of the next evolution come from? That's the challenge that we have, right? If they're not being groomed any other way. It's, it's very clear what, what the tech industry does everywhere it comes into. It, it has one, we talk about the, the middle is the place, the tech industry was invented as a business to take a wrecking ball to the middle. And the idea is you have a few star players, whether they're app builders or whether it's uh, you know the grocer who, who invented their thing, and you pay them a ton of money. And then everybody else is working is Uber contractors working for $7 an hour. And then lots of money to the, to the, share, to the uh, investors and stockholders. That's been the experience of every uh, industry that that the tech field has entered, and there's no reason to think of you know from taxi from taxi cabs to uh, to groceries, and there's no reason to think that it's going to be any uh, different for Hollywood, and it's already it's already moving that way. 
Yeah, I've heard it called the new serfdom, right? Where that the big empires are being built and the empire makers are going to basically keep all of it. And the rest of us are just going to rent our lifestyles from these people. We're going to pay them monthly fees so that we can keep our lifestyle going and our accounts set up and whatever. But really, as you said, like, you know, does it really matter what the experience is? If, if no one is really requiring that right now and sitting on your couch um, and streaming uh, some content off of your television set is what we're all acting like we want more than the theater experience, then the market isn't going to force itself into any other kind of um, opportunity. Who's doing the sellout? Like, who's the group of people that are basically giving up? Is it the baby boomer group that you're talking about that don't have any better exit strategy and they want to finish on top so they can have a good retirement? Um, yeah, and, that- uh, I mean, they've been running this for, for 30, 40 years now. They, they are obviously completely bereft of ideas or inspiration and, and certainly don't you know, have anything to say to the new generations. And they're not going to make waves on their, on, on their way out, even if they had waves in mind. I mean, that, that was the thing why I found the Oscars. I, I, I found the Oscars this year actually like disturbing, not just bad, but like upsetting. Because I, 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 it, it was like you were looking at the, the elites of Hollywood. And, and here was Steven Soberberg, who is sort of the, the innovation prince of the elite. Like this is the guy who does crazy things. Look, he made a movie on his iPhone. There's all sorts of zania. Uh, he just takes takes chances. And it was like they said, on, they, they, they came to us and they said, uh, you know what? We are so sick of you telling us that we don't know how to entertain anymore. We're done with that. Uh, we're not. We're not. We're not here to entertain entertain you people anymore. We're going to talk about ourselves, and uh, you can like it or go away. And, yeah, and, I feel, exactly. <laughs> and and I feel like that's uh, that's kind of where they are, and and uh, they're they're doing that as as the tech uh, companies are are taking over, and uh, we'll see what's left by the time they we get them out of those chairs. I love it. The as I recall the the show, there's these moments where there would be totally like Questlove talking about himself. Exactly, you said like we don't we don't care what you say. We talk about ourselves and we love ourselves. So the narcissism yeah. is real. Let's talk about ourselves. And then the next segment, uh, you know, they call it a commercial, but it's really part of the entertainment segment. The next segment is the release of Questlove's movie on Hulu. So the tech giant is basically financing the narcissism of Hollywood to even tear it down even further. It's insane. Yeah. I guess like I want to know where are the film schools? Where are the NYU film students and the USC film students that just want to be the innovators of the moment? I, one of the evolutions I see taking place is those young group of people in the 70s that invented the blockbusters. So that blockbuster is finished. We know that, right? Because we can't even keep blockbuster scores anymore. So we can't be looking at that as a scorecard. But there's got to be a new band of people out there ready to step into and do have some new form of entertainment. Um, you know, where is it going? Are, are we just looking in the wrong spot, looking at empty theaters and empty seats, hoping that, you know, those old days would return and they're actually over to the some other platform, video game platform, or some goofy, you know, app platform. Um, yeah. Or are we? Are they ready to step up and and step into this moment and create a revolution? I mean, if the, if there's that energy in filmmaking anywhere, I, I'm not seeing it. I mean, you go to you, you look at what's at the film festivals, and you just sort of 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's just this dreary, ponderous, like, it, you know, even, even the low budget stuff, it's like, so it's like, can you people get over yourself for a second? <laughs> um, it's, but you, and, and the result is like, you look, there was a, a Deloitte uh, does their annual study of media trends and they, they, uh, about three weeks ago, they put it out and they said, I, th- I think it was under people under 25, I believe I'm, I always get numbers wrong. So, uh, but they asked them, like, what media do you consume most? And movies and TV, which they grouped together. So both of them together came in fifth place of, of media that, that people under 25 consume. So all the talk we that we do, I, I, I spend about three hours a week in the, having an argument about what's a movie, what's a movie and what's a TV show. And the young people are saying, well, we don't want either of those. We, we don't yeah, want to exactly. What's it matter? We don't want What's it. What's the matter? We're just going to watch TikTok. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're going to watch a commercial and watch that. Yeah. And, and we think we think Netflix is so revolutionary and and everything, but they're they're like, what TV shows? What are you talking about? Yeah. Right. Interesting. It really is like the some of the shift in question I, I want to ask myself is just: Am I looking at it correctly? Am I recognizing the opportunity? And if I one thing I recognize in my own career is that when I showed up at Hollywood to, to start my television career, which I always wanted to do, the television I fell in love with had already gone away. So when I started in the 90s, it was a new wave of television. So the stuff I loved, it wasn't being made. A whole new thing was being made. And I had to adapt to and recognize uh, and maybe even lament a little bit that the old stuff wasn't happening. But it was good and it was fun and trendy. I almost wonder if like, Right now, if there's a new thing I should be looking at and recognizing as pretty awesome and pretty amazing and just as relevant as those shows or that those uh, theatrical experiences we used to have. I do believe wholly, though, that community has to come together. Pop culture is good, right? And we have things that we have to share together or we just stay divided. So I almost want somebody to recognize that when we share any experience, a J.J. Abrams film that we all love, yeah. at least we could cross the aisle that way and not have to, uh, you know, fight each other every, every moment, every minute well, of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I mentioned this last week. Um, Peggy Noonan, who's a Wall Street Journal columnist, obviously, and she talked a lot about how that younger generation has been through a lot with the crash in 08 and 09. Now this is our thing shifting and. There was another um, uh, political thinker, Yuval Levin, who wrote a book about institutions and how we need to build some of them back up, make them more formative versus performative. And one of the comments he said is like, we've been really great about communication throughout all of this, but we're terrible at community, like coming together and doing things together. And I'm wondering if maybe this could be that shift that maybe going to a theater and hanging out with friends is going to be the thing that people want. The problem is the theaters are still stuck in their eighties and thinking people just want to sit in uncomfortable seats and pay ungodly amounts for popcorn. And, and that's to watch advertisements. Yes, exactly. And you're paying to watch advertisements. uh. (laughs) You're paying to watch commercials. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I, bad at the theaters about is that they i mean they expect everything to just go back to normal and this sort of like post-pandemic uber confidence that the industry seems to have that everyone's just going to run back to the theater and you've made this point in your, your newsletter maybe they will for a time 
but that major issues are still going to be there, like the fact that the younger audience just doesn't care. And going to the theater is not a, a movie experience for them. Movies are wherever they can watch them. If they can watch them on their phone on Netflix, that's a movie. Whereas all of us here going to a theater is a movie for us, but they don't see it that way. So there has to be, if we're going to bring them back to that experience, maybe there's a way that we talk about the community aspect of it and bring your friends. And, but I mean, again, to your point, Richard, I don't know if the industry really is awake to this. They seem to think that, oh, we just put th things in the theaters and people just show up. And that's just, again, that's sort of the boomer elite mentality. And one more thing I will say, you know, I totally agree with you in terms of the loss to the filmmakers. I mean, if only it had been in Hollywood during their late seventies and early eighties when Spielberg and Francis Coppola and all those guys were coming up and, you know, Robert Evans was running Paramount and just like all those eras of like, let's just shake this shit up and really make something great. Unfortunately, it's become so corporatized that, as I said earlier, a lot of these people, if they want to advance, they just got to do what their bosses did before them. So that means buying the same tired, you know, screenplay that was written by that, based on that book that was written 20 years ago about how you write a screenplay. Act one, you know, shift two to into act two and then act three <laughs> and then, okay, you wrap the movie. And it's sort of like, no one wants to flip that on its head. Everybody wants to just write things that are depressing and turgid and like, look how important I am and look at this great move I can make on the camera. And oh, by the way, there's a woman shitting in the bucket in the corner. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, I want that to sort of, I wish that there was a way to shift it. And maybe again, with the boomer elite slowly retiring, maybe a new generation will rise that will sort of want to shake things up. Um, but, you know, I lament the fact that, you know, we don't seem to have any sort of filmmakers who are up and coming. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do with my my new company is find those filmmakers and give them an avenue. You show them sort of some of the Hollywood marketing and distribution tricks to get their movie out there without having to necessarily go through the ponderous process of pitching to a 25 year old Yale graduate who got his his internship because he plays golf with Tom. His dad plays golf with Tom Rothman. <laughs> and it's just like you know, who just is going to have the same tape as Tom Rothman. And I heard that Tom plays golf alone. <laughs> he loves the cross, though. Is that right? Don't mess <laughs> with Brown lacrosse. Don't mess with Brown lacrosse. He loves the cross. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, Richard, uh, I got to so say, a lot of the thoughts and, and process that we were kind of uh, building on here together have some big picture kind of needs for the industry as we see it. Um, I know one of the things that you're working on right now is your annual state of the state of the industry what what's the, the my, my state of the show business address state That's, of the show uh, business address which is coming uh, out minutes from now right i mean we're yes. holding you back from getting it done this is exciting <laughs> that we can I'll delay I'll it go and, i'll probably go and tinker with it and mess with it and add needless asides <laughs> yeah, for, for well a bit, uh yeah. my name is tim thompson this is keith Rao. make sure you just throw a little byline in there for that <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> No, it's uh, it's uh, so interesting to see these trends happening, and I think we have a visibility in this situation. Uh, insiders that have watching these for years, listening to the conversations inside studios, and uh, kind of having a voice to this trend, I think is very important. So I appreciate that the Bankler Hat is a voice for the industry that's kind of coming alongside people and recognizing what needs to be said and allowing us to have these real conversations. 
Well, this is great you guys are doing this. And, uh, you know, what you say about encouraging new people and uh, encouraging young people and getting them to find ways into here. I mean, that's that's how it's going to change. It's not going to be 70-year-olds that are going to reimagine this. It's going to be young people breaking through and, and insisting that their voice be heard. Yeah. Anyone that's listening to our uh, podcast that is not yet subscribed to the Ankler, how do they get a hold of you and subscribe? Uh, the Ankler.com. Be uh, sign up right there, and that's a email newsletter, and and you can read it online. It comes yes, a email newsletter comes out uh, not less than once a week, occasionally more. Please tell me you have a book in the works somewhere we can. Uh... <laughs> I I wrote three of them. I wrote my book about Hollywood way back in the nineties, so so I uh, I've gotten the books out out of me for now. But uh, all right. I just want to hear a book about this new trend that's happening because it's it's so big, it's so important, it is exciting. I mean, I I know that we could talk a lot about the differences, but there's there's some great opportunities that are coming within this as well to get rid of the gatekeepers, uh, to distribute your I'm going to use word content, but distribute your content worldwide by just uploading it from iPhone. There's a lot of opportunity in that, but there are some um, parts of the craft that we know that need to be addressed, and there's some real artistic people out there trying to get their films made. And studios need to start listening to the the middle class more than just the elite. So um, there's some real important things we want to be heard. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for for being on part of our show. We'd love to have you back. Love uh, to. And grab some more topics. This is really awesome. Uh, It was very fun talking with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Richard. And Keith, as always, thanks for uh, bringing in the the high-ranking officials so we have some good (laughs) conversation. Every single week, you get more and more legitimate in my mind with the people you bring on. So I really love this. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Lydia, Connor, our team at Go Social. Thanks for helping us make the show and get it out there, promoting it. We appreciate all that you're doing here. If you love what you're hearing here, please subscribe to our podcast. Just hit the subscribe button or the video you're watching. We'd love to have you be part of our audience on a weekly basis. And we will be on Clubhouse tomorrow morning, uh, same time. Just feel free to follow uh, Hollywood Breaks on podcast. Keith or myself will be there and uh, we'll have more of this conversation. Until next week, thank you. And thanks for listening to Hollywood Breaks. <laughs>